0: Now for those who weren't here when Karen introduced this morning, just excuse my voice because it isn't like this usually. It's just in a real funky state from a real loud day yesterday, okay? I'm not unwell. I'm feeling great. In fact, I'm feeling very well. Exactly right. It, It comes directly from that and then not understanding just how hard maybe that was in the environment that we were doing it in. But also... We've got a, it seems to be the trend of the last few weeks. Our scripture verse this week is a cracker. It's a really great one, but it's also John 11, verse 1 to 45. So strap in, because we've got 46 verses to go through, and then we'll get straight into the sermon. So we're looking at John 11 from verse 1 through to verse 45. And if you may not, the death of Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Almost sounds a bit counterproductive, doesn't it? And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you were going back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Amen. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Just imagine that for a second, by the way. That's, that's a very interesting sight. Jesus said to them, thank goodness, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Amen. That's a, that's a big story. And there's so much in it. This is one One angle, okay? There's so much in this story that we can learn. And I've kind of affectionately kind of looked at it as what's it going to be? And I know I've sort of had that idea of are you in or you're out before, but what we're looking at here today is this construct of belief or conflict, okay? So what was your response when, this is where you get to provide me with some feedback. What was your response when someone came up to you once upon a time? and said, this particular, now insert your own name into this spot, this particular famous person has died. Or did you hear what happened over there overnight? And I'm talking about those moments where you haven't been exposed to any form of media already. It's a bit harder these days because it's all thrust upon us. So you had no evidence or facts to go by. Instead, you simply just had to trust in the words that were coming from the person right there in front of you. This person has passed away. Oh, whoa. What, really? This event has happened. Now, my response in those situations, if I think back, which seems to be a pretty common human response, is to go into this state of, even if it's subtle, this state of disbelief and stating something like, no way, or simply, what, really? There is this lack of belief or this seemingly questioning of this new reality. We seem to need proof or it just isn't real. So we get out our phones or we get on the computer, we start to Google search or we fact check something with someone else and go, hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? Whether the whole situation had actually happened, have you heard is old mate trying to pull my leg over here? Like, is this actually true? Now, for me, I remember several different times where this actually happened to myself. When I heard that Princess Diana had been in her accident and passed away. I remember waking up and being told about the planes that had flown into the, tw- the Twin Towers, the trade centres in New York. And even the news of our old mate Steve Irwin, crikey, Getting barbed by that stingray and passing away at such a a young age in in many ways just seemed so unbelievable that I simply had to find out for myself. Like, there may have been a half-truth, but there was still that sense of, what, really? So the TV went on, my phone came out, depending on what era it was and if I had one of those. But belief came through undeniable evidence. The actual full belief came through this sense of undeniable evidence. And this isn't limited to major world events either because within our own lives we hear of people who've passed away unexpectedly or have been involved in an accident or even on the flip side are moving internationally for a job opportunity, something positive. It can be really anything that's unexpected. It catches us off off guard and our response is often best frames with the words, prove it. Prove it. Our human need for understanding often sits parallel with our desperate need for factual proof. There is this block within us, a boundary, that doesn't let us understand in good faith and simply believe. Now, this reality isn't exclusive to negative information, as I sort of touched on just a moment ago, as we can be just as sceptical when something good happens. We start questioning motive. We, again, try and work out if this story is even real. We lack belief in both the negative and the positive, it seems. And I'd say that's scary. That's not great for us. Because what comes out of this is this reality for us as humans is that we've lost the ability to trust others. We've lost the ability to exist through faith. And we've lost our ability to dream and envision what could be a better world around us? A world where Christ is the central focus. And I just pray for that day to come. So we'll keep pressing in day by day. Center yourselves on Christ. With all the different forms of media informing us on their take on what is happening in the world, and it's all from someone's perspective, often this seems to be negative as well. So it's no surprise that this is where we see ourselves as a human race right now. Lacking trust, lacking faith, and lacking passion. Our world's not actually as it should be. Our world is not as it was intended. God intended for us to have relationship with him exclusively from day one. But he also knew that simply making a whole bunch of robots wasn't going to make the cut. We aren't programmed to operate a certain way. We are influenced by things, but then we have choices to make. We needed that free will to make decisions so that we could experience what is real relationship. Because you can't force relationship, you can try, but it's not going to be healthy. But with this free will choice came the reality of sin entering the world as well. And once sin became a part of our world, so did the tensions between right and wrong, Faith and knowledge, hope and finality. These tensions have created boundaries that quite literally bind us and hold us back. Christ doesn't want that for us. He wants life. Whilst we aspire for our amazing lives with bells and whistles and creature comforts at times, we subtly lose hope in the ability to truly experience life that we were intended to have all along. To be truly unbound would release us to dream well beyond the boundaries that impact our faith, that in turn don't allow us to experience life in all its fullness. Just imagine for a second how freeing it would feel, and it might be really hard to imagine. Imagine how freeing it would feel to have belief so strong that it allowed a depth of inner faith in the reality of new life through Christ, and relationship with Jesus, that the things that bound us or bind us and control us right now seemingly disappear. Freedom in Christ. This is a part of why we need to exist within as believers and not hide away from a world that is constantly evolving, not to be like the world around us. I'm not saying be a part of or get lost in the trappings of the world, but to exist alongside it so that we can actually remain impactful within it. Because if we take ourselves out, we're just going to lose the plot of what's going on around us. It takes understanding and relating, but... There's always a... Generally, there's always a but. It takes understanding and relating to those around us, but for the express purpose of building relationship and connection with a world that is struggling so dearly. Hope is revealed when we can share story and show belief's impact on our own lives. We are instruments for the kingdom. Our stories will impact others greater than probably anything else if we can show what Christ has done for us. So why not dare to dream beyond the boundaries all around us? We need to imagine a world in which wholeness, well-being, health, prosperity are just simply normal expressions of human existence and to partner with our God of life in helping that make that dream a reality. So I'm not just talking about Australia where we're fairly well off, but we're talking about even with things like self-denial appeal where we're giving to countries that really don't have a lot, that we can see those things like prosperity, health, wholeness, well-being – just be normal expressions of every person's life. That'll come when we partner with our God of life in helping make that dream a reality. Because I mean, why not? Why not live for that? Work towards that. And it's not really a question, it's more of a statement. Why not? Why not? Change can be made if we get our hearts and our minds in the right place. God can and He will. I'm saying God will move in the lives of people we encounter if we dare to dream and provide hope and be open with them about his impact on our lives. I believe in seeing the reality of lives resurrected within the people and the communities around us that deeply need God's presence in their current situations. Now, when we look at the story of Lazarus, we see within the narrative the importance of the act of believing It's not a noun, simply something to be named like, this is an iPad, good on it. But it's actually a verb. When we're looking at this word believing, it's an action. We are to believe actively and there's choice. There's the choice. We are to believe in the character and person that is Jesus and through the accounts that we have in the Bible, believing in his power, a power that Brings about life out of death. We have it right here with Lazarus' story. But what time of the year are we coming up to as well? A power that brings life out of death. Physically, yes, like with Lazarus. But let's go deeper. Let's go much deeper into the mental, the spiritual, the emotional. Death and darkness that we more commonly experience day to day all around us. Because you see, with this lack of faith so abundant in our world today, there are two distinct realities to Jesus. And that's belief in him or conflict. Belief or conflict. And now, when I get like two words thrust upon my mind when it comes to these sorts of things, I like to look them up to get a real good understanding from the dictionary as to what belief and conflict A read as. And so I looked into these two words a little deeper. And so to have belief is to have an acceptance that something exists or is true, especially one without proof. So essentially, we're talking about faith. In other words, belief is to have faith, believing in that which we do not see wholeheartedly, an acceptance that something exists or is true. But conflict is an inability to find compatibility or to clash with something. So to not have faith is to have some sense of conflict, to have clash with something. Or the inability within ourselves to find that compatibility with the story of Christ's love for us. So here's a little example of belief in conflict within this story. Leading up to Lazarus' death, prior to Jesus coming to Bethany, he's in Jerusalem with his disciples for the festival of dedication, which we may actually recognize as the Jewish holiday, Hanukkah. So that's the festival of dedication. Whilst Jesus is getting around town, the Jewish people actually begin pushing Jesus, not physically, kind of like asking of him, to reveal whether he is the Christ, hounding Jesus. Are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? And you could think they were simply fascinated by the chance that the man amongst them standing right there could actually be the Messiah that they've long been awaiting for. But as we read on, and Jesus is no liar. He's going to tell the truth. In fact, what we find is that they're looking for a way to entrap him. Because Jesus would have known this was coming, but he's so straight down the line with what, what is important. He's not going to mess around. And so he doesn't lie. There's, a, there's something for us. And so he replies to them in chapter, not chapter, verse 25, I did tell you, but you do not believe. And in verse 30, I am the Father, I and the Father are one. And that's from John 10. To appeal to the human need for solid evidence Jesus even brought up the different miracles and good works that he had already done. So you would think that with this evidence available to them, this seemingly human need to have all the facts and proof to achieve belief being covered, like I've given you all the evidence, that they would in fact believe. But apparently not, because these Jewish go and pick up stones to throw at Jesus out of their lack of belief. So instead of accepting and seeing the Christ who provides life in front of them, they decided to pick up stones. They chose conflict. Quite rightfully so, Jesus proceeds to escape. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm not getting stoned today. Across the Jordan River to where John the Baptist had done his baptisms before his death. Nobody likes stones being hurled at them, I'm pretty sure. Not even Jesus. But what we find here, though, is a different response from the people that Jesus meets. And through John's testimony, despite being on separate ministry paths to Jesus, yes, their paths crossed, but a lot of the time, they were doing their thing. Simply through his accounts of the person of Jesus, the character of Jesus, who Jesus was to them and was to be, many of them believed. Amen. Without seeing. A lot of these people too. And I'm telling you loud and clear today that new life is found through belief, not through conflict. You're not going to find love, you're not going to find life, you're not going to find joy in conflict, but you can through belief. When you find someone you can trust within your inner circles of your daily living, how freeing is it for you when you actually find that person that you can confidently confide in? You chat together and you just know that everything that they are saying is true and honest. I could literally say that's me and you, Crystal. I could literally tell you that the Beatles are back together. And because we have such a trust in each other, you would believe it. Because the relationship is so pure. You wholeheartedly believe in them as a person. They wouldn't lie to you either, so this whole Beatles thing would have never happened, because we obviously know that's not true. It's a real breath of fresh air, though, to have that person that you can truly confide and believe in. Believing in the realities of Christ is like that. It is a breath of pure, fresh air. When you're in the presence of worship, and you're truly in that moment, do you ever feel that? It may be from the air conditioner at times. But there's other times where it's hot and you get that cold feeling over you when a word is spoken to you. Don't deny that within yourself. That's the working of the Spirit trying to say, I'm here. I'm in you. It's a breath of fresh air. In fact, the idea of God's covenant, and this is something I really love, and it kind of fit in today, so I threw it in, all right? In fact, the idea of God's covenant name with the Jewish of Yahweh, right? The Jewish covenantal name for God is Yahweh, has often associated with breath, right? They believe that when you pronounce the name Yahweh, it is the actual sound of breathing. The two syllables of Yahweh match up with the intake and the outtake of a single breath, and when naturally voiced, the breathing in sounds like, and the outtake... Did you hear that? (sighs) Yahweh. By simply breathing, they believe that you're naturally evoking the name of God. So in Genesis 2-7, when it reads, he breathed into us the breath of life. The very sound of breathing being the name of God, something that we take with us every second of the day, mind you. Yahweh. We understand that God is is life. God truly is life. And our breath is a sign of who our life comes from. Life comes through God. What a great way of thinking about it. Now, Jesus has raised Lazarus to life. That's pretty incredible. In a somewhat prophetic foretelling of what is to come. And Jesus has brought a man who was dead for four days. I'll put up four fingers, not three. That would help. For four days to life. For the Jewish people, this time frame actually signified the completion of the soul's journey from life to death as well. So what we're saying here with these four days, it's not by chance that that's mentioned, is that Lazarus was truly dead to these people. The spirit of Lazarus was gone as well. Lazarus was dead. Now, given that many of the people present were friends of Jesus or knew about him or were his actual disciples that went about his business with him, they were aware of his ministry and would have known about the miracles that he had done up to that point. So naturally, out of the human response, here that human response is again, we all have it. It's okay. It's how we deal with it. They were confused. They were upset. They probably were even frustrated by Jesus' timing in coming to Bethel. And when we read the scripture before, Jesus had mentioned to the disciples what? Lazarus isn't, well, actually, he's dead. Because he was trying to be coy at the start or trying to teach them something, which is the truth. But he waited two more days. Let's be honest, Jesus probably could have said, Lazarus, come to life from Jerusalem, and he would have happened. But Christ likes to teach in the miracle as well. Jesus waited two days after hearing the news to finally set off. And so the disciples are probably thinking, what is taking you so long? Your friend is dying. Only to hear from Jesus himself that Lazarus is in fact dead already. Upon Jesus' arrival, the overwhelming reality of the finality of death, four days gone, in the deepening grief of Mary and Martha and all those mourning around them, we then see Jesus somewhat called out by Martha, and actually by Mary as well, as she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So when we, when we actually read that and think through that sentence by Martha, there is this understanding of who Jesus is, but actually there is still this amount of conflict within that limited the possibilities of their brother's resurrection now that Jesus had returned because death was still final for them. And Martha says, yes, I, I do know that he will rise again, but what she was talking about was eternally. What Jesus was talking about was so much more. However, we are asked by this scripture to consider the possibilities that belief brings to a life Over the bindings inside us that don't allow us to relate to this story. Why would we want to cause conflict in our own lives? We have the truths of gospel available to us all the time. If you want a Bible and you don't have one, tell me and I'll get you one. Okay. To not believe is to clash with God. To bring conflict into our lives, that's all that happens. New life is found through belief. Having a little faith. You'll hear the faith of a mustard seed could move mountains. Just having a little bit of faith and that belief in the possibility of new life by accepting God's love for you, by accepting God's love for each one of us. So here, as Jesus weeps, actually weeps for his friend, we see the type of love that God wants with us. Jesus in his full humanity and look, you could, this is why I said this is one angle in this story, because you could write a whole sermon just on the two words of verse 35. Jesus wept. Humanity in full display. He held emotion. Jesus held grief. Jesus held, well, he would have been understandably been exhausted. He knew what it was to be human. His love for Lazarus was the Greek love we know as philia, and I'll explain, which is best described as a friendship or a sense of human affection. We can somewhat understand philia, okay? Where God ultimately loves us with agape or agape, love, which is an unconditional love that will not falter and is given whether it is returned or not. God longs for, God already gives us, whether you love him or not. He is giving you all the agape love that you can handle. But God longs for philia love with us also because God wants relationship, that sense of friendship, that sense of human affection with us as well. This is a love that we can somewhat understand. The need for others, maybe even ourselves, to experience new life getting to experience resurrected lives remains as an urgent call right now. This need should be just as obvious to us as Lazarus' death was to everyone at the tomb in Bethel. And despite Lazarus' death, through the love of Christ, it was not final. If we choose to believe rather than to have conflict with God, we can truly consider the kingdom possibilities for those that are socially, physically, spiritually, and emotionally dead within this world, and we may fall into one of those car- categories. We will know that. A new living reality through belief in Christ's love for them. It's what we want, people to understand Christ's love for them. And now a warning that has to be shared now, though. Not everyone is going to be happy with this new revelation of life in Christ. Not everyone's going to be happy with that. When we choose to believe and accept the filial love that relationship with God, we will experience new life. From out of a life lived in darkness, a new sense of light will be shown. And as Karen shared last week, there will be people who want to snuff out that light, right? When the light, the goodness in you, illuminates the darkness within someone else, my encouragement, because the warning is that they'll try and snuff it out, to shine that light brighter, stay true to you. Because like Karen said, it's like being silly enough to look at an eclipse and then it disappears or have a bright light shined on you in the pitch dark. The first response is very noticeable. There's a flinch, there's a, oh, I'm not sure about this. But there's an adjustment. Whilst they might cover their eyes initially, metaphorically speaking, Their eyes just might need some time to adjust. Their hearts might just need some time to adjust. Because it's hard for many people to understand, on one level, agape love. Love that is just there for us, whether we like it or not. But even to understand relational love. That's love from God. Keep shining. Don't hide her under a bushel, as Christ said verse chapter 5 verse 15 in Matthew in commanding us not to hide our faith when he was talking on the Sermon of the Mount once Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead we are told that many Jews believed in him amen after seeing that with your own eyes it would be hard not to believe but even despite that many had this conflict with Christ they couldn't handle the light-giving love that Christ so humanly and divinely expressed as it took away from their sense of power and authority in themselves. Sadly, it was the religious authorities as well that looked to undo the life-giving nature of Jesus' miraculous work as they conspired to kill with the risen Lazarus. So this man has been raised to life. They were conspiring to kill him again just because people believed in Jesus as a result. We can't put ourselves ahead of Jesus, but we should put Jesus as the head over ourselves, okay? Are we too scared of what others will think of us if we shine the light of Jesus in our own lives? Maybe. That would be some of my testimony at school when I was in high school. At times that felt daunting. But really, to shine that light just means to be loving, to be nice, to be joyous, have, have some fun. To be in control of ourself, choosing peace and gentleness. And if you catch where I'm going with this, it's all those fruits of the Spirit again. Galatians 5, coming through yet again, time after time. If people cover their eyes for a moment from those things... Maybe they just need time to adjust. But don't stop shining the love of Christ. Be loving, be joyous, be peaceful, be patient. We all need Christ. Everyone needs Christ. Believe in the possibilities. Partner with God in showing what life can really look like. And if we show them the resurrected lives we live through, wholeheartedly believing in Christ's love for us and praying against any conflict that tries to corrupt our relationship with him, Maybe others will experience new life too. We need to do that right now. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Who said that? Say it louder. Jesus. Don't say the name of Jesus softly. Shout it from the mountains. I speak Jesus. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, said Jesus. Jesus. Our faith is not based on seeing, but there is nothing stopping us from showing the way Christ has impacted our lives if it helps others come to understand God's unconditional love, the agape love that we'll never fully understand for them. They then can find that filial love, a relationship and a friendship of Christ for themselves, and then truly know what new life looks like, a resurrected life. A life that may have conflict come into it, but doesn't choose conflict for it. New life can only be found through Christ. We can't hope to think that that's not the case. If we think new life is going to be found in setting ourselves up better, with a better job or a better life situation, those things come to pass. New life is found truly when we bring the light of Christ into it and then are able to then take that to the next step of bringing others into that reality for themselves as well. My encouragement this morning is the song plays in a moment. With the the weekend openly, I want you to just close your eyes and just listen to the song as it plays. It may speak to you, I don't know. That's not my work. The song is, That's the Power. I want you to take this moment to draw out any conflict within yourself, okay? It's a safe space. We're all doing the same thing. Take this moment to draw out any of that and hand it back over to Jesus and say, I don't want this as a part of my life anymore. I don't want this narrative over my life. Lord, I want to hand back all this conflict because I believe that you love me with a love that's unconditional so that I can understand a love that comes out of a relationship with you.